the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. I, uh, I hope you're sitting on your porch or whatever. It's a beautiful day out there. So let's start thinking positive. Life doesn't require that we be our best, only that we try our best. Rise above the storm and you will find sunshine. That's, uh, that's an old uh, Confucius. And then finally, uh, Dalai Lama has it right. The purpose of our lives is to be happy. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, there's a lot of little stuff going on here, but let's just go. Uh, if you have, if you want to get any of the material we talk about on this show, go to WHK1420's uh, webpage and go to local podcasts. Go down to Tim Hayes' Smart Investor Show, and it goes directly to my webpage, uh, which makes it very easy for you to find me. Uh, I would highly recommend when you're on that uh, uh, webpage, go to Insights. There's always something new. we got a lot. For all you ladies out there, we've got a lot about women and in investing uh, right this point, uh, moment. And, <clears throat> you know, uh, I have uh, several female clients, probably like 50 of them. And uh, you know what? Uh, they bring – they're amazing people, number one. Number two, what I like about them is they bring a different perspective uh, most of the time. And, I mean, each one of them brings a different perspective. And it's it's – but we have a lot of stuff on our page on women investing, and I, I highly recommend it. There's some good new articles about commodities on there, so uh, you know that's something to do. But if you want the dividend growth portfolio or the prime income list, uh, you know there's all the contact me, email me's on the thing. And Bob Dickey's on the first page. He's under uh, the the daily stuff, and uh, you can find it. We also have a, a weekly newsletter there, so uh, something to think about anyway. You know. Uh, um, a lot of things. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about the election a little bit, but I yeah, let's just start off with that. Uh, you know, well, first of all, the growth trade reasserted itself last week on Friday with Apple's earnings and uh, Amazon's earnings and all that stuff. Uh, then they gave it back a little bit at the end of this week. So it's you know it, it's this pulsating thing between growth stocks and everything else. And um, what we saw a couple things, uh, you know. Large cap is still winning the day, okay? Uh, the, the five largest stocks, uh, you know, you don't even have to buy the QQQs anymore. You just buy the five largest stocks and they keep going up. And uh, some, that's going to change someday because, believe me, nothing goes grows to the sky. And I've heard uh, numerous articles about why it's different this time. <laughs> uh, it's always different. But I look at the charts and a lot of those charts are parabolic. You don't know what parabolic means. You should. 
and if you don't, you shouldn't be, be in those stocks as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, small cap growth has been doing pretty well. Uh, but small cap future positioning slipped among asset managers this last week. So uh, the moves in the weekly sentiment indicators that, that we track weren't terribly exciting either. The retail investors are now 48% bearish and they're 40% bullish. And the and the bull uh, the bear bull ratio is now at minus twenty five. And last time it was like that, it was uh, March twenty third of this year. And the next time it was like that was back in two thousand eighteen. And the time before that was at, at the bottom, by the way, December twenty fourth. And then it was two thousand nine, and a couple uh, once in two thousand eleven, once in two thousand ten. So uh, people are bearish and. Uh, I think the reason is is because positive economic surprises in the U.S. have remained below their mid-July peak. You know, we had a lot of uh, positive things going on there. One thing I am seeing is that COVID cases, first of all, uh, you know, nobody's bragging about this because the press doesn't like Trump. But, uh, you know, 98.9% of the people that have the coronavirus uh, are living. All right. So the death rate is very low. It's the lowest among all. You know, they talk about uh, we're not successful in in containing it. We're not, but we're the most successful in treating it. And that's the big difference. So, um, you know, if that continues, uh, things could get interesting. But Biden's odds in the betting markets out in Iowa have leveled out. And uh, so betting uh, markets continue to anticipate a a Biden victory, by the way. But um, but Biden's surge. And Trump's plunge uh, have coincided with the surge of the U.S. COVID cases in June. Uh, so uh, with the case case count plateauing again, uh, Biden's odds and the betting markets have stalled. And Mr. Trump's have raised. It'd be, I tell you what, they get some kind of uh, vaccine and Mr. Trump's going to look really good. Uh, now, look, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, as the U.S. prepares to go to the polls, amid this global pandemic and economic recession, we look at how the candidates' policy prescriptions could play out uh, under the most plausible election outcome scenario. So, look, there's strong sentiment across the political spectrum. We argue that the American system includes robust guardrails that limit the ability of any individual political party and to impose sweeping change at this point. But, look, institutional investors are more concerned about this election than any other issue right at the moment. So, Recessions have usually been unkind to the incumbent party, unfortunately. So uh, really, the month of October, if the stock market is up, the incumbent wins. Okay? So just remember that. So, look, there's three possible elections. Uh, First is the status quo, Trump and a divided Congress. Then Biden and a divided Congress. Uh, or if we get a blue wave and the Democrats control the presidency in both chambers of the Congress. The big problem with that, I think, will be the filibuster rule, um, which is, you know, the most challenging for the equity markets right now. And, and would it mean gloom and doom? Um, I don't know. It, you know, it could usher in some volatility, that's for sure, even a pretty big sell-off. Uh, because the American system's formal and informal checks and balances act as guardrails, you know, uh, Usually, migrating sweeping political outcomes, but uh, you know, without without the filibuster, things could change. And uh, an overlooked guardrail in, in the business lobby, uh, we would uh, estimate, uh, 
Uh, we would we'd not underestimate. I mean, uh, powered grazing. We think business interests will overlap many investor interests. So now, look, uh, Bob Dickey talked about uh, the election, and he looked over the charts. You know, of the hundred years, uh, hundred twenty years that we've had, you know, modern stock market movement, we've only had seventeen years where the market was down more than double the ten percent. All right, so in one hundred twenty years. 17, 17 years doesn't seem like a lot. Uh, so you, you just got to remember that. Um, and, and I would say that, you know, w- during the election, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, a, a period of time. But look, right now, we're kind of going through post-traumatic economic stress. So after a shock of, uh, of a sharp contraction in the U.S., uh, the, the GDP signs point to a prolonged COVID-19 convalescence, let's put it that way, for the world's economy. So, you know, the faster uh, we come up with some kind of, uh, uh, you know, out, you know, something that can cure the stuff or, or is a vaccine, the better. Uh, but, the, you know, the other thing I want to talk about is this, you know, people talking about this plunge in the GDP. You know, they talked about a 30 point, uh, 32.9% plunge, but that's if, it continued for the whole year. Okay. So it was a 9.5%. So, uh, and so they're putting out this 32% to scare people, I think, and the press is anyway. Um, but it's nine, it's 9.5%. So, you know, don't, don't let it get you going. I keep, keep forgetting this is a live show. So if you want to call in, uh, if you've got a question, it's at 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Now, a couple of things that I just wanted to talk about briefly, and then we're going to go, uh, you know, we'll talk about the cloud a little bit and um, what the new normal is. All right. So uh, Tom Lee, who, you know, is uh, one of our good friends at the Fundstrat, uh, he, ta- he says he thinks in the next couple of weeks, the epicenter stock, the stocks that got killed the most, will start to move. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. I also read an article from the Bank America strategist. Uh, you, he said, I'm so bearish, I'm bullish. <laughs> but look, uh, you know, you have real yields right now are at uh, a negative 75 basis points or three quarters of a percentage point. Uh, and that's that's a big positive. Uh you know, for the overall economy. It's especially positive for small caps, I think. But look, cloud computing, I've been talking about the cloud. Uh, I talked about the cloud on the show way, way, way early, okay? So there's a new normal here. There's new opportunities. So you guess, you just got to remember that. The, you know, the cloud's going to develop, or the developments are accelerating, but the penetration still remains low. And that's what the key is. And so, look, what is cloud computing? Cloud computing is perhaps one of the most esoteric terms in technology, but it's core. It's it's essentially a remote network of computers that allows a company to easily store, manage, access, and process data using an internet connection. So you don't have to own your own computers. Somebody else will is what it comes down to. So it's cost savings and scalability are usually the primary advantages, okay? So look, uh, with the cloud, like I said, the developments are accelerating, but the clouds, you know, only like about fourteen uh, percent. Uh, well, I, I, I've heard as low as nine. All right, so I, I'm not sure on that, but uh, you know, so you got to think about that. And 
I, I think that, look, under the new normal, you're stuck at home. You know, some online retail therapy always helps, okay? So what you have to look at is, you know, uh, who are the stores that are doing best? There's one obvious answer to that question, but there's several others, okay? And there's several new upstarts, all right? Uh, you know, I talked about dogs on the show. The two, the two are animals, I should say, pets in general. I'm a dog man. You know, I, I had some cats a while back. They were great. But, uh, you know, it's amazing what those stocks have done. There's two of them that, that Mark Mahaney, you know, I, I talked about this, uh, you know, his, his he, he called it rocket ships and, and fish hooks uh, was his report. And he has two in there. One he called a fish hook and one he called a rocket ship. And that rocket ship took off. It was $42 a month ago. It's 75 Okay, so there's several of these rocket ships, and they're both kind of online retailers in a certain way, all right? So, um, look, we asked some questions, and we said, did COVID-19 lead to you permanently increasing uh, your willingness to purchase online? 54% of the people said yes, 46% no. Has COVID increased your online retail spend? 61 said yes, 39% no. So that's big. So I think that's an uh, obvious place to go. Um, look, uh, some people, some people asked me last week, uh, "Am I a gold bug?" Uh, look, I talked about gold on this show when I first started back in two thousand two or three, whatever it was. And gold, yeah, you know, I talked. I actually said Gold Corp, and Gold Corp went from two to forty four. Okay, uh, I'm not recommending Gold Corp anymore. I think it got taken over. Uh, and and I I talked about I could actually talk about individual stocks back then, but I'm not a gold guy, okay? I, I, I understand it's part of the, the groups, okay? And gold went up big. Uh, every gold stock I had went crazy. And then right around 2000, I think it was eight uh, or seven, uh, gold got hit hard and I sold it. And some people didn't return my phone calls, which kind of ticked me off. And then they, you know, they yelled at me. Uh, but it was still a sale then. And the problem with gold stocks is, is that they have leverage. So the leverage hits them really hard on the downside. Now, you know, I said last summer to buy gold, and I said it on this show, and I said it numerous times, and you can go back and check. There's all sorts of podcasts. The one thing, uh, we've gone parabolic now in gold. So gold's probably going to pull back. By the way, the dollar is 100% oversold, and gold's 100% overbought. So what I think may happen, though, is that gold stocks uh, still have not performed as well as gold. Uh, so maybe that's the place to be. I don't know. But right now I, I've been looking and, uh, you know, historically I've seen, uh, you know, uh, when gold leads, gold stocks follow. And then what happens is gold stops going up and gold, gold stocks go over because of the leverage. All right. So uh, there you go. A um, couple things uh, on commodities. The Lebanon explosion sent oil going crazy. We have three tops now at right around the 44 area. If we were to break through that, that would be a very big, big move, I think. Uh, and, um, you know, I would be very, very, uh, uh, very, very bullish on oil if, you know, short term. I'm, I'm not saying it's not a pay, table pounder, but I'd be bullish on it short term. Uh, look, I, I think... Um, I talked about biotechnology a couple of weeks ago, and I think I just want to remember that, you know, let you know that, look, there are a couple of themes here 
in biotechnology. COVID-19, obviously, is a potential disruptor to, to biotechs. And uh, I also think there's, you know, there's uh, some notable increases in p- potential disruptions. So uh, that's another thing to think about, okay? Um, and I, I think if you don't understand that, um, that, look, COVID is, is making, I mean, look at Novavax. Novavax was a nothing stock. It went to 178, 180, I don't know, and it pulled back a little bit. Uh, so it's making winners out of some of the old losers. The other, the other problem is, is that with biotechnology and healthcare, some of the stuff that you go to the, if you have to go to the hospital, people don't want to go. Okay. So they're cancer treatments. All right. Uh, you know, there's a company that has cancer in a pill form, uh, cancer treatment in a pill form. You know, your cancer treatments and your elective surgeries are, are going by the wayside to a certain degree. So you got to be careful where you are in healthcare. Uh, I just looked at some charts that look really good, four large-cap healthcare stocks that look really, really good. I mean, fantastic uh, as far as I'm concerned. I saw a couple industrial charts, too, that I really, really like. Uh, a little bit higher price or stocks in a couple cases, but uh, it's the way it goes. You're going to buy them. Uh, anyway, in the meantime, let's take a break. This is Smart Investor Show. Once again, the, the phone number here is 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Uh, some interesting facts here. The world's top 20 busiest airports handle the combined 48 million metric tons of cargo. <laughs> so if you wonder where your bag is, <laughs> that's probably the reason. Hong Kong Airport remains the largest air cargo hub. Uh, handles 14, uh, 4.8 metric tons of cargo in 2019. wonder if it's still that way. You know, in 2019, the NFL absolutely dominated the tube, uh, accounting for 41 of the top 50 most watched broadcasts and 73 out of the top 100, including the World Series, NBA Finals, college football games, the Men's Division I Basketball Championship, the Kentucky Derby, and the FIFA World uh, Women's World Cup. Interesting. Here's a couple of things. People always wonder why CEOs and, and, and C, CFOs, et cetera, uh, make a lot of money. The average chief marketing officer tenure at 100 of the top U.S. and uh, U.S. ad spenders slipped to 43 months. The average CFO uh, is is tw- uh, I'm sorry. The average CFO is is 49 months, and the average CEO is 19 months. <laughs> so, uh, now some CEOs that stick around for a long, long time. You hear about those. Those are the good guys. But the average CEO is 19 months. So, if you're wondering uh, why these guys are paid so much, uh, it's simply because uh, they don't get <laughs> much time on the job. Uh, you know, I, I also, uh, look, uh, I got, I had a question uh, from uh, Larry. Larry Michaels was the guy's name, so I could use it on the show. And he asked me about uh, Moore's Law. And uh, Moore's Law is, uh, was designed by, he was the chairman of, uh, of Intel, CEO, and he believed uh, that innovation moved quickly. And he said that the average uh, amount of computers 
time in a chip doubled every so many months, <laughs> all right? So in Moore's Law, in transistors, uh, 24 months. In DNA sen- sen- uh, sequencing, 18. Artificial intelligence is three. So uh, look, these growth rates can be characterized by how long it would take to cause a doubling in the underlying data, all right? So Moore's Law stated that the number of transistors on a chip was going so rapidly that it would cause them to double every two years. In 1965, when Moore wrote uh, his paper, there had been six doublings, and so there were 64 trans, uh, transistors on an integrated circuit. After decades of doubling, the current iPhone has 8.5 billion transistors. Using uh, uh, productivity we never imagined back those those days, right? And DNA, uh, DNA, uh, DNA sequencing is evolving faster with the human cost of genome declining from $10 million 15 years ago to just under 1000 today. It's amazing. And the speed at which artificial intelligence programs can train or how much compute, uh, computation they utilize is doubling approximately every 3.4 months. It's huge. I mean, uh, it's a little scary, but it's huge. Uh, take it from there. Um, you know, I, I, I had some really good uh, uh, stuff that I just want to talk about. And I've been... Uh, you know, looking at uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've been looking at a lot of charts. Okay, so look, one of the reasons that the the dollar, you know, the dollar has uh, sold off is uh, because people are worried about the coronavirus and the interest rates are down. And look, I looked at gold from 2007 to 2010, and and every time gold was a thousand dollars, the dollar slid. Okay, and now I look at it, uh, and you know, by the way, in 18 months. The gold went from uh, 7.25, I think it was in the you know 2008, uh, 2007, uh, to uh, 1,200 in a very short period of time. Uh, gold stock did did a similar thing, uh, you know, because they they have a little bit more leverage. But look, if you look at the Dow Jones index in the last six months, it's it's a, it's a four month uptrend line, and it was just almost broken last week, and then it rallied again. Uh, the Nasdaq did the same thing. So, you know, we've got some stuff going on. Uh, you know, the Russell, uh, you know, small caps are kind of in a precarious situation right now. And I think a lot of this is depending, you know, they're right at their uptrend line. All these all these indexes are right at their uptrend line. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, crude oil has three tops at, you know, in the 43 area, 40 area. And uh, Brent crude, uh, it's all right around 43. So if it breaks out of this, it could be a pretty big move. Um, some people... Uh, you know, uh, look, I, I talked to a lot of people about a company called Jemaya uh, who had cash at that point, and it was more of a real speculative thing. And I just, I bought some, and I didn't buy much, but, you know, is this thing, you know, this is Mark Mahaney now, okay, one of our analysts. Goes from like five to 20. And uh, so we're, you know, we're seeing some of the small caps get up and go. And uh, so I, I think it, you'll see more of that. But I, I'm also seeing some local, a local company. Who's an industrial company that looks pretty good, uh, but you know, Mark liked Pinterest. It took off, and uh, but you know, I'm also seeing some stuff like you know some of the big bang names that are are going crazy on the upside. So, look, the dollar is drastically oversold. It's 100% oversold. So, my suggestion would be is that uh, the uptrend line dating back to 2011 is still holding, but it uh, you know it's we're getting right to it, okay? So if it doesn't hold, uh, then gold would probably go higher. But if it does rally from here, I think gold pr- 
probably will back up a little bit. Now, I'm not saying to go out and sell everything. I just, if you're a trader, you might want to take some off. Uh, but, you know, um, the gold, you know, gold goes up when the dollar goes down and the dollar's really oversold. So just think about that. Uh, silver's the same way. Silver's very overbought. Uh, you know, so I, I think you just want to be careful of those. I, I, look, I talked about them for a year and, uh, you know, you would have made money through the whole year. So, um, I'll just leave it at that. I don't have any, uh, any gold stocks that are not doing well with the exception of one. And, and unfortunately there's some rumors that they're going to acquire somebody, which would, uh, would screw them up, but that uh, I'm still up on the stock. It's just, the question is, uh, you know, do we, uh, where do we go from here? Okay. So, uh, look, I think there's, there's some stuff going on out there that um, is really interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, I'll just uh, leave it at that. Um, I was looking, uh, look, the S&P 500 broke out uh, last week. And the question is, is the Russell 2000 going to follow? And I, I don't know. Uh, but I I think, you know, you got to do this barbell approach. And I, uh, Rob Schleimer from Fundstrat talked about this. And, the bar is your consumer product companies, uh, you know, a lot of those around, and your drug, your big drug stocks, and your your big, uh, you know, whatever. On the left hand side is your weights, are your fang stocks or your big cap uh, growth stocks, and on the right, I think you need some industrials and maybe even some financials. Don't know, but uh, there's some timely. Uh, technology ideas, and I'm not going to tell you what those are. You have to call me. Um, now, I did notice a, a couple insider buys that, you know, we follow very closely, so I'll just mention that. But there was, uh, you know, the growth first value trade has not changed, although Friday was a bad day for technology. So we'll see. You know, Technology on average was down about 2% Friday, and people were buying utilities and other things. And I think that's maybe because uh, they're worried that there's uh, there's no relief package. But Mr. Trump over the weekend uh, signed the executive order, you know, taking our payroll taxes back to July and, and uh, uh, you don't really pay them. But the Russell, you know, is holding in there. So if the Russell would break above, uh, I think it's like 1540, uh, that would be very, very positive uh, because the Russell, you know, look, it, it broke its relative downtrend, uh, broke to the upside uh, versus the S&P 500. Now we need to see it get up and go. Okay. So if it were to do that, that you know, the Russell has a lot of banks in it, uh, small banks, and it's got a lot of small technology and small biotechnology. So that'd be very positive. But look, I'll just say this again: uh, you know, the daily momentum in the dollar is very oversold and beginning to bottom. Uh, you know, the weekly momentum is very oversold. So uh, if you're don't go out and buy gold, I don't think in the next couple of weeks. I think you know whether you want to hold it or not, that's different. But uh, because look, gold broke out to a new high, so it's pro- if it holds that breakout, it'd be very, very positive for gold long run. Okay, it, but that's what you got to find out over the next couple of weeks. Now, I did notice a couple things uh, in weekly performance. I noticed, uh, you know, some of the uh, uh, computer discretionary and, and home builders and those type of things started to break out. All right, but I, I am seeing a lot of uh, good looking tech charts that aren't names you've heard of lately, okay? I'm also seeing some of the utilities, the relative performance starting to fall over and die. So, uh, you know, that's something you have to – look, 
when utilities go down, the yield goes up. You buy yield when it's up. So that's important for you yield buyers. If the utilities continue to be weak, it's a good time to step in is what I'm trying to tell you, okay? Uh, anyway, we're going to take a break again. Once, uh, once again, we're going to come right back with a bullish percent. So stay tuned. This is the Smart Investor Show, and I'm Tim Hayes. If you just tuned in, this is the Smart Investor Show, and uh, it's a live show. So uh, if you have a question, 216-901-0945. It's 216-901-0945. You know, I was looking at something, and that's the number of new highs since the bottom on 323. In March, it was just 6% of the stocks. In April, 6.1%. May, only 2%. June, it was 47.3%. July, 29.3%. And August, 14.7%. It uh, sounds, we already got a call. So is, is Pete, you out there? Yeah, good afternoon. How are you? Can you? Good, how are you doing? Well, no complaints yet, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I got a question for you. Um, as you know, yields on fixed income investments are pretty crummy right now. And... I'm considering dumping a boatload of money into Verizon just because it's a pretty high yielding stock and you know, based on its history it looks like a pretty stable stock. It doesn't swing real far one way or the other. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that and also um what percentage of someone's portfolio should be invested in any one stock? Um it depends on who you talk to. Okay. Uh on the First of all, Verizon's a, a, a wonderful company, okay? Uh, I can't really make recommendations on the show, Pete, anymore, uh, uh, but it, it's a part of the 5G play, and 5G's penetration is only 5% right now in America. It's much, much higher in the other countries. Uh, uh, China really has this over the barrel with 5G. So I think, you know, that's something that uh, Trump has been trying to push, and the Democrats have been holding back on it uh, a little bit, but... Um, the the company is in the in the midst of 5G. I, I know they're already putting 5G, you know, uh, and fiber optic cables in the west side, and they've been working on the east side too. As far as uh, any one stock, you know, most money managers look at a two percent position as a you know a strong buy. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, I have people that have. Uh, like Abbott Laboratories, just have huge positions in Abbott Laboratories because they've never sold it. And it goes, up, it goes up and it splits three for two and it goes up and it splits three for two and it goes up and it splits three for two. And they haven't sold a share. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it depends. You know, look, I got people with Apple. <laughs> and uh, a- a- Apple's a scary one because it's kind of a, a parabolic chart at this point, but uh, we, they got a lot of it. And, I mean, a lot, a lot. I and mean, we bought it back when Steve, you know, I came on this show and said uh, buy it when Steve Jobs came back. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So we got to, it, it depends. An institutional guy will say 2%. Okay. Uh, a, you know, you and me might be different mm-hmm. because you get, you get, you get wealthy by holding stocks for a long, long period of time. 
Yeah, and plus it's just paying a nice dividend too, and you, know, you can't get yield anywhere else. Yep. I, uh, by the way, you should uh, call in and get our uh, prime income list or our dividend growth list. There's some really great candidates there too. Okay. Very good. Okay. Thanks very much. All right. Great have, have a great day, Pete. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Pete. Anyway, as uh, we go, we we always talk about the the New York bullish percent on this show, and the bullish percent is just our risk guide. Okay. So we're column of X's. We have the ball. Column of O's. We have a defensive team on the on the field. Get over 70, that's the red zone. That's when everybody's talking about their portfolio, when you should be frightened. The green zone is below 30. That's when you should be drooling. <laughs> and most people won't open their 401k statements, okay? So we have an interesting, we have a bifurcated market right now, and that is the large cap stocks or the bullish percent is at 62.24%. It was up uh, 0.2%, all right, last week. But the small caps are in a column of O's, and so are the world indexes. So um, if you look, if you take 50 stocks out of the S&P 500, it's actually down 17%. So you've got to be a little bit more careful. But basically, I would say that all the major bullish percents didn't do anything last week. So the large cap stocks are still where people want to be. Uh, I mean, you could literally have this year, if you would have bought a March 22nd, I did do a little of this, bought the QQQs for some people. Uh, they did quite well. I also bought uh, a couple other uh, momentum uh, groups, and uh, they did quite well, too. Uh, dynamic asset level investing, as you know, our friends Dorsey Wright provide us with the bullish percent and dynamic asset level investing. We had a kind of a jump this week, and that is domestic equities jumped over cash. Uh, so it's fixed income is the number one asset class still. Domestic equities are number two. Uh, usually domestic equities, I, I think what you'll see is that domestic equities will outperform fixed income, but fixed income, uh, the correlation, you know, and what I mean by correlation is how, if you have a down market, will people go to bonds? And the answer is yes. Okay. So they have a different correlation than domestic equities, which I think is important. But, uh, so domestic equities overtook, uh, this happened on Friday, by the way. So that, that's a big, that's a big, uh, big thing. So they're number two place right now. And I think that's very important. Uh, and, and, you know, what's really interesting is the amount of cash on the sidelines. Uh, I believe I read last week that the average 401k has almost 60% cash right now. So nobody's in equities. They missed the entire move up. They probably sold at the bottom and they missed the entire move up. Uh, even institutions, though, uh, so it's not just, uh, you know, uh, the average Joe or uh, Josette. Uh, it's it's the institutions are in heavily in cash, too. So, uh you know, it's amazing um, what some of the returns have been when domestic equities climbed above cash. Uh, so uh, I'll just leave it at that. Now, I, you know, I talked about the emerging markets. And by the way, if you bought the EEM, which is the one I was talking about, then the reason I like that one is it's got it's a pseudo uh, technology ETF. Uh, so I recommended it, uh, I don't know, uh, 34 or something like that. It went back down. Way, way down to 26, and now it's 44. So uh, that was at the beginning of uh, November of last year. But it's been 17 weeks of positive momentum, and I think you got to be careful with that because, uh, you know, it's straight up, okay? Now, the Dow Jones has had two weeks. Uh, most, most of the, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the indexes have a, two, a couple of weeks of positive momentum, with the exception of the XLG, which is the large-cap stocks. 
and the Spider Trust, which is, you know, dominated by the larger stocks. They've been positive for three weeks. But the, the Frontier stocks, what's interesting is the Frontier stocks have not been doing well. They've been negative. So it's been the emerging markets, but it's been the technology end of the emerging markets have been going crazy. Um, you know, I, I was I was looking at a few things, and uh, last week's action was really positive. And one of, uh, I think one, uh, well, let's just say this, nine of the major ETFs covered in, in uh, you know, in the Dorsey Wright system and, and what, what I look at every week finished in the black. Well, just one, and that was the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index finished in the red. Uh, so that was a pretty good week last week. Uh, so it, it, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I, I looked at the um, equal weight uh, e- ETF for the S&P 500. So each stock gets one vote versus, you know, the capitalization weight. So the, the top 10 stocks are driving the S&P 500 to new highs. They're really sending the QQQs up because there are huge weightings in those. But uh, we also are starting to see the equal weight, which is, you know, one stock, one vote, uh, start to break out, too. So uh, if it were to break over, uh, I would say, 119, it would be very, very positive for the overall market because uh, you want everything to, to pay attention. Now, remember, uh, back in April, I said the uh, I said the bullish percent was at five and you shouldn't get too bearish. You should buy. OK. And within a month, 30 four sectors were in favored status. Now we have 23. Okay, so we're fading a little bit. All right, so just remember that. Uh, So let's start out with our favored sectors and we'll move down. Remember, I'm going from the most overbought, so these are the stocks you buy last or you wait for them. Housing, building, semiconductors are at 74. At 70 is chemicals, autos, electrical products, and machinery. At 66 is precious metals, business products, software, and internet. At 60 is retail, healthcare, and computers. That's an interesting place to start to look. Then at 54 is telecom, forest and paper products, and waste management. At 50 is textiles, financials, and steel. And then aerospace just turned up uh, this week. Uh, We have a couple of names underneath 30. That's oil and savings and loans. So uh, you want to wait. They're not favored, but you want to wait and see if they turn. That'd be great. Uh, you'd like to see things go under 30 and then turn back up. We did have biotechnology, gas utilities, and Wall Street go unfavored this week. And then we had leisure and electric utilities go back to average. And restaurants and protection services went from unfavored to, to average. Restaurants is an interesting one. And autos went very, very favored. You know, I was looking at international equities and uh, emerging markets. You know, the EEM still looks it's got a huge fun score. It looks great on the charts, but I just think, uh, you know, it, it's made a big, big, big move. So you, you just want to wait on them a little bit, um, especially, you know, like the EEM, uh, you know, it, 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 it'll break a double top at 45 and then it'll break an all time high at 46 and a half. So, I mean, it's come a long way, went down, went up, went down and then surged back. Okay. And, People ask me about fixed income, and as an asset class, it's a tough one, but I think, you know, you need it for correlation. But the fund score on the average is uh, 447, you know, and Dorsey Wright, you know, that, that's in corporate investment-grade bonds. That's huge. So a lot of people put money in bonds. Uh, and I guess, you know, will interest rates go back up? I don't think the Federal Reserve wants them, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, and what the Federal Reserve wants, the Federal Reserve gets. So 
But the, the LQDs, which is the corporate, you know, investment grade corporate bond ETF, just broke a double top this week at 138.50. So, uh, you know, positive things going there. As far as uh, the, you know, the commodities are concerned, oil's been, uh, momentum's been negative for about five weeks. Gold's been continuous for about five weeks. And copper just turned down this week. So uh, copper had a big run. I don't think it's over. You know, crude, I just, I, if crude breaks 44, I, the monthly momentum for crude is just on the verge of turning positive. So if it breaks 44, uh, I think you could have a big move, uh, you know, a, a nice move anyway. All right, relative strength. We always talk about relative strength on the show. All it is is it's a measure of how the stock is performing comp- compared to something else. In this case, it's the, you know, what uh, we use and that Dorsey Wright uses is the equal-weighted S&P 500. So Avid Technology uh, is an insider buy, by the way, too, and Dick Sporting Goods, Ultra Industrial Motion, Napco Security, Patterson Companies, MYR Group, NextGen, Rena Center, Tenant Healthcare, uh, Fang Holdings, which is a solar company, Tenant Healthcare, big option uh, volume last week, Vocera, Artisan Partners, and Noodles and Sage Therapeutics in the Energizer Group. Uh, by the way, there was a couple cells, Air Corp, AAR Corp, and British Tobacco, and Calories and CMM, which is financial services. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back uh, with Insiders. Stay tuned. This is the Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. And if you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes, and uh, this is when we start to talk about insiders, okay? And uh, why do we talk about insiders all the time? Well, uh, insiders know their company better than we do. <laughs> they buy early, and we're just looking for the big buys, okay? Uh, and if you don't think this works, uh, look, I can tell you about six stocks that have gone up over 400% in the last six months, okay, from ins- and insiders bought right before it happened. Eastman Kodak was the latest example of that. Uh, I had a lot of clients call. These are my clients now. They listen to the show, and, uh, you know, it's, I can't really recommend the stock below $5, uh, but they, you know, I, I talked about the insider buy, and they called me, and they bought it, and uh, it was a home run. Uh, the problem was they, they did open and close trading about 12 times that day. So we didn't always get the best price, but uh, uh, still from $2 to 30, uh, you know, it's a good deal. All right. So um, first of all, we're looking for multiple buys or big buys. And I want to talk about a sale this week. Jeff Bezos sold $3 billion worth of Amazon. Now, the last time he did that, Amazon did nothing for two years. It was back in two th- the summer of 2018. So that's all I got to say. All right. Uh, we did have a couple other names. We I noticed uh, a couple directors from Allo Beer, which is it was a new bio, biotech deal this week. Uh, bought uh, one director uh, bought 2.9 million shares of 49 million dollars worth. And another director bought uh, 6300 or or $100,000 worth. Uh, so that's, that was a big, big buy uh, right out of the box. 
Also, last week we talked about Axis Capital Holdings. Uh, we had a couple buys. That same director, Charles Davis, bought another $17 million. Remember, he bought $9 million last week. And then he bought uh, another $8.2 million. So I guess he's serious. <laughs> and uh, then we had uh, Wrecker uh, Systems. And we had the CEO buy $2.7 million or a million shares or $7 million worth. And also Avon Lake uh, or a- uh, uh, Avon Lake Group bought $2.7 million. All right. Uh, we have a question. We have Mike on the line. Hey, Tim, how's How it going? I haven't talked to you in a long time. How you been? Getting through the COVID I can't okay? can't complain. Yeah, well, there you I, go. If, if, if you love your house. <laughs> yeah. How about yourself? Hanging in there, man, one day at a time. I'm in the industry, so I'm out there every day. So, Oh, boy. Um, real quick, I know you're getting close to the end on insider buying. What's, what's the time limit? Are they, I'm sure they have to have, hold on to it for a period of time, don't they? Uh, yeah, they do. Uh, well, it depends. If it's if it's uh, option related, they can they can sell some of it right away. But uh, the question is not how long they hold it. The question is how early are they? That's the question you should be asking. You know, like Kodak, they bought it back in December, Mike, and then they bought more in May. And I said it both times on the show. It was funny. I had uh, twenty clients involved, and or twenty two, I guess it was, and nine of them bought in December, and then. The rest of them bought in May. So it, yeah, I, I, think, I remember you, know, you. I remember you uh, talking about Darden, and uh, was it around fifty-eight? And, and I'm just wondering, yeah. if, you know, they got rid of it yet, or, or they're still holding it? Uh, you know, there's uh, just so you know, there's uh, five times as many sales as there are buys. So I, I can okay. I don't track that as closely because. You never know what they're selling for. You know, are they selling to buy their house on the coast of Marseille, their new Porsche, whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, right. So, right. yeah. Okay. But when they buy, they buy for one reason. <laughs> you got it. You know what I mean? All right. Hey, thanks. Enjoy, so, enjoy the show. Have a great day, sir. Anyway, a couple other things. E-Health, uh, which just got absolutely slammed from 150 down to 70. Uh, I noticed the uh, chief executive officer, Scott Flanders, bought $2.4 million. And then also uh, Equivia uh, Holdings, which is a diagnostic company. Uh, the uh, I'm not this Ron Berman. I don't know who he is, but he bought 1.5 million. And then uh, you know we talked about F5 last week. Another buyer of F5s. Uh, you know what? I'm sorry, Scott uh, Flanders bought twice, so he bought 2.4 million. Then he bought another million. So uh, that's interesting. And QDell, which is was near a new high, uh, we had a director Mike uh, Ed Michael who bought a whole bunch of stock, too. So I found that interesting. And then uh, Co- Compass Diversified. Uh, and this this guy, Elias Stable, is one bright guy. And this is a good dividend stock, uh, people. He bought three different times, two to about 350000 bucks each time. And then Ted Doche, uh, who's a UGI is utility. It's a regulated gas utility. And he bought, like, uh, six times all about $330,000 worth. So now I did have Sage Therapeutics, which uh, – as a nice looking chart, there were seven buyers of ten thousand shares each. It's about a fifty dollar stock. Berkshire Hathaway went at it again. Remember last week they bought five hundred and sixty six million dollars worth of Bank America and, and now they bought another three hundred and sixty six. They now own almost twelve percent of the company. And uh, Upwork, which is uh, one of Mark Mahaney's uh, stocks, uh they 
they reported really good earnings and they and they kind of guided down they guided down with a new CFO named Jeff McCombs. Now Jeff was the original CFO of Facebook, okay? Uh and he's been in a couple other ventures too. And then he went out and bought 270,000 shares. Uh you know, the stock about 14. So that's interesting. And then uh Cloudfare, uh Bally, uh Ballet and Gifford uh bought 11.42% of the company uh as a as a passive stake. So there you go. That, that's some big buy-in right there. Uh, big, big buy-in, I would suggest. Uh, so, you know, sometimes it's uh, it's important that uh, you listen to some of these guys because, you know, Cloudflare is a, a Matt Hedberg company. So I think, you know, you've got to be paying very close attention to uh, what some of these guys are buying because, you know, uh, you know, Bally Half- uh, Gifford is a wonderful money manager. Okay. So pay attention. Anyway, look, the Dow Industrials uh, may be rounding uh, over from the resistance that you know at the 2700 level. So we'll see. Um, it, the uptrend line dating back to uh, like you know second week in April, I guess it is, uh, is you know they've kind of broken down through that. But there's still p- plenty of support at 2500. So I just think you know you have to uh, um, be, be aware of that. And and uh, you know look, I think. Um, you know, you know, I, I think this uh, what Mr. Trump did this weekend with the with the uh, payroll tax is is um, is amazing. I don't know exactly how we're going to run the country, but uh, you know, I, I think it's just something that we have to all pay attention to, uh, simply because of the fact that uh, you know it, that could be a big big reason for people to spend money, okay? Or or people will have money. Uh, you know, if I get my taxes back, I'm going to be a happy man. Uh, but we do have this uh, flattening top on the on the dow so uh look if five stocks went down 10 percent, the dow would get hit pretty hard and these stocks are really extended i mean they're on monthly charts they're extremely extended and uh um but there's one on the dow that is extremely extended and if it would go down 10 percent, uh the, the dow would suffer for a while so uh you know sometimes it's uh <laughs> what what you see out there is is kind of baffling, and uh, you, you wonder, uh, like for example, the top five stocks out there. Uh, every two minutes, uh, you you get a uh, somebody from Robinhood buying it, and I think they may be taking advantage of those people, but that'd be my my opinion. So, the S and P five hundred uh, appears to be at the high end of its range, uh, and it looks a little bit better than the Dow at this point. I would suggest. Uh, and so, so does the NASDAQ compo- uh, the QQQs and the NASDAQ composite. Um, so, you know, that, that's something, uh, you, you've got to understand. Uh, and look, I think, you know, the Dow went down to the 2600 level and then rallied back up and probably will hold as far as I'm concerned over the long run. So you just got to, you get you got to look at things at different in different times on charts to to get a different perspective on things. I think and, and sometimes. So, what would I do? Right at the moment, I'd be looking at the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list. Boy, there's some really good ideas on there right now. I happen to have bought several of them this week. I have a couple of entertainment stocks that I really like. I've got a couple of industrials. I've got four healthcare stocks that I their charts look dynamite. In Tim Hayes's humble opinion, and uh, this is Tim Hayes' opinion, okay? But uh, I think those are, and several of them are on 
our dividend growth portfolio. By the way, our all-cap growth portfolio has been doing really well this year. It's got Apple, it's got Netflix, a couple other names, so it's been doing really well. So anyway, those are all available to you. If you uh, go to WHK1420, go down to podcast and go down to local podcast and then down to Smart Investor Show, it'll get you directly to my webpage. So uh, on the webpage, look at Bob Dickey's work under Bulletin Board. Uh, and then in Insights, there's all sorts of good information on Insights. Uh, just click it, and I think you'll find – and there's all sorts of ways to get a hold of me. You know, contact me, email me, whatever. It's got my phone number, too. What a novel concept. <laughs> a phone number. Anyway, uh, y'all have a great weekend. I think I'm going to go out and try to hit the little white ball around. Uh, I played yesterday very poorly, by the way, but what do you got to do? Uh, in the meantime, have a great weekend. It's a beautiful weekend. And remember, buy low, sell high. It's a Smart Investor Show. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.